0: Welcome back, everybody, to Unbashful. I'm excited for another week and another opportunity for me to sit in front of this mic and in front of this camera. And I hope everybody had a great New Year. Happy New Year! Um, I hope everybody had a fun party. Whatever you did, I don't know, drank some beers and hung out. I there was some. I live in Toronto, and there was like videos of people getting into fights. That's definitely not the way you want to start your New Year. But I mean, whatever you want to do, I guess. Uh, so I hope everybody's safe and happy and enjoyed their little holiday holiday season. Now that we're into 2022, it's time to look forward. And we got a lot of big movies coming out this year. And I'm really, really excited. But before we look at those big movies, we are going to look behind us briefly. And I'm going to go over my favorite movies from this past year being 2021. So we're going to do a top 10 list as the title of this episode suggests. We're going to start from 10, progressively work our way down to number one. And I don't, I mean, you guys know this at this point, this is obviously subjective to me and my feelings and opinions about these movies. Now, before I get into this list, I do want to make it clear. I have not seen every single film on this list. For example, uh, the tragedy of Macbeth. That's still a film that I've really, really wanted to see. Here in Canada, I've looked everywhere. I cannot find it in any theater for the life of me. Uh, and it does not come out till Apple Music till, I believe, January 14th or the or the 11th. One of those two. Um, so for me, I didn't get the opportunity to see that film. And I've really, really wanted to because I've heard nothing but great things. And I'm almost certain, excuse me, that if I saw that film, it probably would have... Uh, taken a spot on this list so films like that uh, and you know if I really look down the wire there's probably other films that I haven't seen like uh, The French Dispatch I haven't seen that Uh, once again some of these films that have come out here in Ontario where I live the province here in Canada they have either been in very few theaters or in no theaters at all so that's kind of the shitty thing that's going on here with some of the movies that have been releasing in theaters but For the films that I have seen, I'm going to be judging off of those. So keep that in mind if I, you know, in your eyes, give a hot take, like, holy fuck, there was no tragedy of Macbeth. Like, keep in mind, there's still movies that I haven't actually seen just simply because they haven't been available here in Canada. So it's not even like a matter of I'm lazy or I don't want to, you know, watch it. I'm a movie guy at the end of the day. I love watching films, but due to the fucking pandemic, I just haven't been able to watch all of them. So. Without further ado, let's crack into this top ten list. Actually, before we're gonna go into our honorable honorable mentions to kick this off. So for the honorable mentions, I got Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. I have House of Gucci with Lady Gaga and Adam Driver. Thought that film was fantastic. Then I have Last Night in Soho. Uh, then I have Venom. Let there be carnage. So those are one, two, three, four, five. Four. I got four films there for my honorable mentions. Uh, I considered putting out of those four, I considered putting House of Gucci on the list. But then as I kind of like, you know, looked at my list and evaluated it and, you know, sort of came up with the with the idea of, okay, if I am going to put House of Gucci on my top 10 list, what film am I going to knock off? And I had a problem knocking really any of these films off. Um, but let's get right into it. So, number 10, we got The Many Saints of Newark. Now, this film is a uh, a prequel to the – it's a prequel setting up the main character, Tony Soprano, from the show, The Sopranos. Uh, now, me personally, I haven't seen any of The Sopranos. Actually, that's not true. I've seen the first – I think I saw the pilot episode and then I watched a couple episodes after that. But I just – I don't know what happened. It's I, I don't think it's – I don't think I stopped watching because I didn't enjoy the show. I just think I stopped watching because I just got really busy. My schedule is is just, it's fucking crazy. Like I'm, I'm, I'm busy doing all kinds of stuff, school, you know, podcast, this and acting stuff behind the scenes that I'm trying to figure out. So I'm very, very busy. Uh, So that's probably why I did not uh, finish or continue watching the Sopranos. But after watching the many saints of Newark, I definitely want to jump back in uh, jump back on to HBO while well, I guess Crave here in Canada and uh, definitely finish watching The Sopranos because after watching The Many Saints of Newark, it really uh, got me excited to watch that character fully fleshed out because this is just a prequel. And to be honest, this film isn't even really about Tony Soprano. This film is about his uncle, who's the head of the, the mob crime family that Tony Soprano is sort of surrounded by. And you know this guy. You know our, our main character. Um, I forget his name, but he he's a pretty shady guy. He pretty much got his. You know, spoilers. He got his. Uh, he pretty much killed his dad. He set up his dad to die, and he he just does a lot of fucked up shit. And he tries to right a lot of the wrongs that he does, or at least paint the picture that he is a good guy. But in reality, he does a lot of fucked up shit. Um, and it comes back to haunt him towards the end of the film. Uh, this guy that he was doing business with in the the beginning of the film, he sort of like double-crossed him later. And then that same guy that he double-crossed ended up getting his revenge on him and killing him at the end of the film. And then throughout those events that's happening with the uncle, you're introduced to Tony Soprano and he kind of wants to get himself involved in the life, in the mob life that he is seeing his uncle uh, getting himself involved in. Because he almost... He almost, well, not almost, he does admire him. He looks up to him. He sees the power, the respect that his uncle has when he's, he's, you know, going amongst himself or going about himself through the community. And he just sees the, you know, the perks that the life, that that life brings that they're portraying in the film. So that kind of sets him up. Uh, Overall, though, I love the film. I'm a big sucker for mafia movies. That's one of my favorite sort of, little genres to watch, like Goodfellas, The Godfather, um, you know, films like that. I've always kind of been a big fan of the mob movie genre, if you will. Uh, next up, number nine, we have The Green Knight. Uh, I love this film. It has the uh, has the actor from D- Dave Patel. Uh, Dave Patel, he's, he's the actor from Slumdog Millionaire and many other films, um, he's a fantastic actor. When I first watched this film, I watched it with my friends, and I thought it was solid. I thought it was really good, but I also kind of thought it was underwhelming. And I was really, really excited for this film. Uh, they they released a teaser for it about you know way back in I think 2019. So I had been waiting for this film for quite a while, and when it finally came out, I had a lot of anticipation. Uh, you know, if you look at the cast behind it, the director, everybody has had. A lot of experience in this industry and their work speaks for themselves. So I was really, really excited going into Green Knight. And like I said, I thought it was kind of underwhelming. There's not a there's not a lot of, you know, big scale action, but I didn't necessarily expect that. But I think the thing that holds this movie up the most is the message of the film. That is kind of what carries this 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 film. That's kind of like what to me after rewatching it, that's what made me enjoy it so much. So that's number nine. Moving on to number eight, we have Shang-Chi. This is the introduction to a long, uh, you know, a long, a long-awaited, excuse me, uh, Marvel Marvel superhero. I'm stuttering here. Shang-Chi, and uh, this is a character that I have wanted to see for a while in the MCU, and I know a lot of other people have. And I think Kevin Feige and Marvel, all the people you know behind the scenes, I think they've just been waiting for the right time to introduce that character to the MCU. And I mean, what a great introduction, Uh, slam dunk, absolutely love the film, Uh, I thought Simu Liu, fantastic in this film, Uh, my only issue is, I kind of had a problem with the amount of flashbacks they did, but then I could also understand to a degree that they were necessary to sort of set up, you know, his father, the Mandarin and sort of set up his mother. Um, but the, I had a little bit of a problem with the flashbacks. I feel like they probably could have done without maybe without a couple of them, to be honest. Uh, I, I, Simu Liu was in the film a lot. But I think if you maybe would have minus or subtracted a couple of those flashbacks, I feel like we could have seen them a little bit more. But that's a minor nitpick overall. I thought the film was great. The action was great. It was... You can definitely tell it's a Marvel film. You know, it has that Marvel filter. But it's very, very different. Like in, in the third act of the film, there's literally dragons and fucking monsters and shit that we've never even seen. And there's like all kinds of, you know, mythical creatures and stuff like that. It's a very interesting and unique world compared to the, what, what else we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Shang-Chi was fantastic. And overall, uh, Simu Lu, I admire his story very, very much. I saw him on Jimmy Kimmel and he was talking about how uh, well, before I mention this, I've I've spoke on this podcast before how you know my main uh, goal and what I want to do in my life professionally is I want to be an actor, and I understand it's a very uh, it's very difficult to break into this industry. Many people try, many people fail, but I want to try and put my you know my best foot forward and see if I can accomplish big things as an actor. And Simu Hulu, his story is very incredible because it's very inspiring actually because he was, he was literally dressing up as Spider-Man. And this is what he said. He told the story that he was dressing up as Spider-Man at little kids' birthday parties and making a, you know, a couple bucks here and there on the side doing that. So that was kind of like the grind and the journey that he had to go through to eventually become a successful actor like himself. And hearing stuff like that is just, it's very inspiring because when, when that's what you, when that's what you're, that's what you're doing, you know, you're, you're dressing up as a superhero trying to become, uh, you know, a successful actor and you're, you're dressing up as a superhero at kids' birthday parties. You really have to love what you do to be able to do that on a consistent basis, enjoy it and still passionately pursue, you know, your craft and you know, your career path, uh, that you want to do. Like you have to be passionate because nobody's going to want to do something like that. It's, it, it could be humiliating. Um, it could be, you know, uh, degrading depending on who you ask you. I mean, it's it's just so for him to be able to come from that and then come on top to where he is today. It's very inspiring for for anyone that wants to be an actor. Uh, so Shang Chi at number eight, number seven. I have Eternals. Uh, I feel like I enjoyed Eternals a lot more than most people that I spoke to did like when I saw it with my friends We all they we all kind of walked at the theater and every time I see a movie with my friends We always right away like most people do we talk about how we felt about the film And most of my friends kind of were you know not on the fence They all enjoyed it, but they all kind of just thought it was you know, like a six out of ten or whatever Me personally, I I loved it. Um, I I personally would probably give it like a nine out of ten I'm a big fan of the grand scale Marvel films. I appreciate the grounded films, you know, like black widow or, uh, you know, captain America, the first Avenger, or even the winter soldier. Like I like, I do like those grounded films and those grounded projects. But for me, I've always enjoyed the big grand, grandiose films. Like, you know, Films like Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Endgame, and, you know, Infinity War. Films that just take place, like, in the cosmic realm. Um, and a lot of Eternals does take place, like, on Earth. But it is a very... It isn't, like, a... I wouldn't consider it, like, a grounded film. It very much explores the creation of the universe. It, you know, it, it explores the celestials. Uh, it explores... Just... It, it's basically a... A... Uh, an explanation of, of life in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how everything came to be. And it opens the door uh, for a lot of possibilities for the future. Now, since that film uh, you know, came out like five months ago, if you wanted to see it at this point, you will or you would have. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit of spoilers, but the end credit scene for Eternals got me super fucking excited because... For anybody that, you know, keep up keeps up with the MCU, we all know that Blade is coming at some point. I think his film was supposed to be coming out in 2023, so next year. And we all know that Mahershala Ali is going to be playing Blade, and that just gets me super excited because I think Mahershala Ali is one of the best working actors today in Hollywood. Uh, I love his films. You know, I love moon, uh, Moonlight I, or is it Moon Moonlight? No, no it, Moonlight. Excuse me. I love Moonlight, and then I certainly love uh, uh, the Green Book with with with, uh, with Vigo. That film is absolutely incredible. Um, so you know they got an Academy Award-winning actor uh, to play one of my favorite Marvel superheroes. I love Wesley Snipes' interpretation of him, and I cannot wait to see what uh, what Blade is gonna or not Blade. I can't wait to see what Muhsin Ali is going to bring to Blade. So, anyways, where am I going with this? Why am I talking about Blade? Well, in the post-credit scene, Kit Harington's character—he's—he's uh, uh, he's going to be Black Knight in the MCU, and they're sort of setting up his character, planting the seeds throughout the film. And he—he he picks up the ebony blade at the end of the film, and as he picks it up, you can—you—you you actually hear Mahershala Ali speak. You don't see him on screen, but you hear him speak, and he says something like, "Are—are you, are you sure you want to do that?" Like, that just got me absolute chills. When I saw that, because I've been waiting to see, like, when are we going to be introduced to Blade? When are we going to see Marshall Ali pop up in the MCU? Are we just going to see him in his first film, uh, Blade? Kind of like with Shang-Chi, because before Shang-Chi came out, we never saw any sort of hints, any sort of teases, or even any cameos from Simu Liu as uh, Shang-Chi. So, new film. New character, and I was wondering, are they going to do that with Blade, or are they actually going to just sort of plant the seed, like Marvel has done, for example? In Avengers: Age of Ultron, uh, they were they were planting the seeds for Wak- for Wakanda and for Black Panther and T'Challa. I think Mark Ruffalo was looking through the files, and he said uh, there was a funny scene when he said, uh, "This vibranium comes from you know uh, Wakanda," and he obviously mispronounced mispronounces Wakana, but it sets up that. World in that universe that we inevitably did see with you know Black Panther, but so that's kind of what Marvel's doing again, and it's proven to be very successful. So that got me excited, but that's not the only reason why I thought the performances were great. Uh, when I heard about the casting news of this film, you know, like three years ago now at this point, I heard Richard Madden was going to be playing Icarus. I was super hyped because. Uh, shout out the bodyguard on Netflix. That is my, that was my introduction to Richard Madden and holy shit. I probably rewatched that show like five times. That show is absolutely incredible. I highly suggest you watch. It was a fantastic show. I wasn't familiar with Richard Madden. Like I, I'm not a fan of the game of Thrones. Well, not that I'm not a fan. I've just never watched the show and I knew he was in that show very briefly. And I'm sure he's done some other things as well. But for me personally, that was my introduction to Richard Madden and holy shit. He gave an incredible performance. Essentially, what the, you know, short little synopsis is the bodyguard is about a bodyguard, obviously, and he is protecting this uh, politician. And he sort of kind of, you know, develops an affair with her. But along the way, you know, he, he he's obviously incredible at his job. I think he's ex-military in the show. But along the way, you discover that through his experience in the military, this guy is damaged. This guy is struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's something that's very uh, prevalent in today's society. We see a lot of people that return from the army very different from who they were before and it affects them and it hurts them and a lot of them deal with like I mentioned post-traumatic stress disorder so highly suggest you watch that show but anyways so he's in this film Uh, Richard Madden is playing one of the main characters Icarus Uh, then we have Gemma Chan playing um uh playing Cersei and I thought she was great but one thing that was very very interesting and for those of you who don't know I found this out right after I watched Eternals, and I didn't even notice this, but it, it, it's kind of interesting. So Gemma Chan was actually a character in Captain Marvel. Um, she was a supporting character. I, I don't exactly, excuse me, I don't exactly remember what uh, the name of her character, but she was a supporting character in Captain Marvel. And it's not the same character that you see in Eternals. It's a completely separate character. So they're almost like just retconning that character. I don't even know if she'll return in in uh, the Marvels. Is is the next? Captain Marvel film, so that was kind of interesting. We've never really seen that before. I mean, we've never really seen an actor in another superhero. Actually, that's not true. Technically, we saw Chris Evans play uh, Johnny, uh, whatever his name is, the 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 fire guy. I'm gonna sound like a fucking idiot. Um, What's his name? The Johnny Storm. I think his name is. I'm gonna sound like a fucking idiot. Let me just. Let me just uh, fix fix this real quick. But what basically what I'm trying to say is, uh, Chris Evans played one of the main superheroes in the Fantastic Four. You know the 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 ones that weren't that great from back in the early 2000s. And obviously we all said, we all know and recognize him as uh, Captain America now. So let me see here, Fantastic uh, Four cast, 2005. Let's do that. Uh, The Human Torch So I was way off Thank god I corrected myself I sound like a fucking moron Um, But anyway So Yeah uh, We've seen it before But not really like this It it was kind of strange Once I found out after It didn't ruin my experience With the film at all I still loved it And I rewatched it And I enjoyed it even more But I thought that was Kind of interesting Um, And the rest of the cast Is fantastic Uh, Let me actually find The rest of the cast here For the Eternals because um, I want to talk about one of the actors in particular. There's some news with him outside of the MCU that I want to quickly talk about here. Um, let me see here. Eternals cast. Okay, I like how the first person that pops up is, is Harry Styles, as if he as if he was like a main character in this film. Uh, he was in the post credit scene, I guess, but. So, yeah, uh, obviously we have Angelina Jolie as Thena. We have uh, Salma Hayek as Ajax. Um, Obviously, Richard Madden, as I mentioned. Kay Harrington as Black Knight. Gemma Chan, Cersei. Don Lee as Gilgamesh Kumail. uh, Nanjiani as Kingo. Hopefully I pronounced that uh, correctly. Um, Then we have Barry Keoghan, who I'm going to talk about in a sec. Then we have Leah McHugh as Sprite. Lauren Ridloff as Makari. Bill Skarsgård, I think he just voice act of the protagonist, or antagonist. Um, Brian Tyree is, Brian Tyree Henry is Fastos. Then we have Lucia, uh, okay, and the rest is just like little supporting side characters. And then he has his So yeah, the, the actor I want to talk about in particular is Barry Keoghan. Very briefly, there's a lot of rumors that he is going to be playing the Joker in the Batman. And I find that very interesting because for me personally, somebody that I've wanted to see for a while. And I think I'm not the only person. I think this has been something that the fans have wanted for a while as well. We have all been asking for Willem Dafoe. To play the Green Goblin. I think he was just born for the role. He's got the voice. He's got obviously the looks. He's got the face. Uh, I don't know why he hasn't. Now it obviously would kind of be like a fan casting if that happened. But hell, I would not care. I want to see Willem Dafoe as... Uh, as Did I say Green Goblin earlier? I meant to say the Joker. I want to see him as the Joker. Uh, and he still is my first pick. Like if I was working... you know, If I was the casting director for the Batman... Obviously, the film's already done, but if I was the casting director for The Batman, I would honestly try my best to get Willem Dafoe. But, but, rumor has it, now, this could be this could be false. We do know that he is in the film. He's at least in a cut of the film because I think they're testing, well, you know, two different cuts of the film with, with him in it, being Barry Kugan, and with him, you know, with, with him without it. Without, sorry. They're testing one cut of the film with Barry in it. In one. Without him in it. But. There are rumors that he is going to be the Joker. And. Let me tell you. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't see that one coming. But if I really look at him. And I really analyze him. And I've seen a lot of his films. The Killing of the Sacred Deer. Uh, I've seen. I, I loved him in Dunkirk. And the very His very brief appearance in Dunkirk. I think he's an incredible actor. And he's starting to really kind of like. Not break out. But I'm, I'm starting to. You know. See him. Go a little bit more mainstream. And. I honestly would not be against him being the Joker. Now, there's a couple pros about him being the Joker. One, he's obviously an incredible actor. Two, he's very young, right? So he could play, if they really want to stretch the Joker character out thin in this new Batman universe with Robert Pattinson, they could really keep him as the Joker for the foreseeable future. They could have something almost like the Arkham Knight games when the Joker is sort of like the head of all the crime in Arkham City. And they could really play him out for a while. Whereas if they bring in Willem Dafoe, I think they would probably just have him in for one, maybe two films. I don't know. Probably just one. But, you know, there's pros and cons. Like, the, the pros for Willem, Willem looks more the part. And obviously, well, I mean, you forget the acting. They're both fantastic actors. But uh, he, he looks the part. We've all wanted to see Willem Dafoe as the Joker for a very long time. But he probably wouldn't play the character for a, for a long time, right? This isn't a character you'd probably see in the Batman franchise for a while. And to some people, some people may argue, well, we don't really want to see him in the MCU, in the Batman universe for a long time. But if you look on the other side with Barry Keegan, this is a guy who's very young. He could play the character for a very long time. So there's a lot of opportunity for different kinds of narratives that they can do, Um, so just wanted to talk about that for a bit, but let's get back to, uh, the list here. So yeah, we got Eternals at number seven, went on a little bit of a tangent there, but overall I love the film. Uh, I'm actually probably going to rewatch it soon. I know it's coming to Disney plus pretty, pretty shortly, but anyway, so number seven Eternals, number six, we got a small little film that was apparently only shot that was shot in like a week or something or like less than a month. Uh, That being the guilty with Jake Gyllenhaal. I love this film. Jake Gyllenhaal's character, he's playing a 911 operator. And as you're watching the film, you're starting to understand that there's a reason why he's not only a 911 operator, but that he acts and speaks to the people around him the way he is. He's a very angry person. And you start to understand that the reason why is because he's going through some shit on the side. You actually find out that before being a 911 operator, he was a cop. But then you start to understand, and as the story kind of unfolds, you realize that there's some controversy going on, and there's a reason why he was demoted to being a nine one one operator. Now, I don't want to say demoted. There's a lot of people that have a full full time career in that and go to school specifically for that. I know people that go to school for nine one one operating. It's 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 called co- it's college programs. So I'm not trying to demote it at all, but. In this film, you find out that he was actually a cop and spoiler, you find out at the end of the film that he killed somebody as an officer. And we know that, you know, police officers, they try to do anything. Well, I actually, I don't want to say that. That's not true. <laughs> police officers actually just been fucking going crazy with their guns left, right and center. That's why we've been seeing so many fucked up crimes with the police Lately, but in reality, police officers should refrain from using their firearms unless an absolute necessary situation deems that to be possible. Whereas we've seen in society, you know, in this past year, that hasn't been the case for a lot of police officers, which is really fucking bad and unfortunate, but that's a whole other topic for another day. Uh, But you find out that he killed somebody and that he's awaiting a trial and You start to understand in the film that he's talking to one other officer in particular that was there that saw everything, but he's good friends with them. And he's almost like convinced this guy, well, him and this guy were in agreement. So like, you're going to say this when you're put on the stand tomorrow, you're not going to tell them exactly what happened. You're going to say this. And it's, you could tell it's kind of eating Jake up. And then once the film finally ends, he's just like, yo man, like, I can't lie. I can't lie. Just tell the truth held the truth. And the, the, this other cop, the, his friend of his, he's like, no, man, I, you know, you're, you're going to go to jail, like for the next, you know, you're going to go to jail for years. You're never going to see your daughter. Sorry, not never. You're not going to see your daughter for a long time, but he accepts that that is the right thing to do, to take that liability that his character did, killing that person um, or that accountability for killing that person. Uh, now, during the film, as his himself being an i 11 operator, he is helping, this woman who the film makes you believe that she's being kidnapped and that her husband you know has kidnapped her and it's it's almost like a domestic case you know he you know the husband's kidnapped her he's hurt the child but then at the end plot twist you figure out that she is actually having almost like a manic episode and that she actually uh, I think killed one of her kids or at least brutally uh, harmed it And, and 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 then she's obviously uh Uh, she's, excuse me. She's, she's harming the, uh, the husband and the husband, you know, the film makes you believe that the husband is the one responsible because, uh, during the film, we realize that he has a criminal record. So, you know, he checks all the boxes as someone who would commit this kind of crime, but you actually realize that it's, it's the, it's the girl calling the whole time. The girl who's, who sounds like she's in danger, but really she's the one causing the danger. And and Jake Gyllenhaal is trying to, she's trying to, he's trying to help her throughout this whole process. So the guilty was great. Uh, you could watch it on Netflix. The next film you can also watch on Netflix. Uh, at number five we have Don't Look Up. This film I was really really excited for it. I mean just the cast alone. You got you got Timothy Chalamet. Uh, you got Jennifer Lawrence. Um, you got Meryl Streep, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Jonah Hill. Uh, Tyler Perry, Kate Blanchett, the, you know, the cash just goes on and on. And there's a lot of cameos from a lot of other big actors. Like we see Chris Evans towards the end. He had a funny cameo. Um, I think there's a couple other, I just can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but this, this film was great. And I've, I heard a lot of negative things going into it. And I heard the reason why. Uh, and I, I talked a little bit about this on my last episode with my conversation with Mary, you guys should definitely check that out. By the way, that was a fantastic episode. We, we touched on a lot of uh, real important uh, topics that have, you know, that have to do with, with society and in the world today. That was a great conversation. But briefly during that uh, uh, conversation with Mary, we did talk about Don't Look Up. And we discussed how, you know, a lot of the negative reviews probably stem from the fact that critics just didn't appreciate that this film was preachy. And the overall message of this film is I a lot of people a lot of people have said and I do agree. Um, th- everybody thinks that this film is essentially just referring to climate change and how people should take it more seriously and how people should actually pay more attention because the consequences of our negligence and the consequences of us just not uh, caring could harm us very very badly in the future. And I think, and I agree. I think that is what the overall message of this film is. I mean, you have Leonardo DiCaprio. For Christ's sake, this guy is an environmentalist. He cares a lot about the environment. So I'm sure that probably enticed him to join the project as well. Um, but I don't have a problem with that though, because that that's a real thing going on in the world. And there's a lot of films that are that are preachy, but they don't do it in a they don't do it in a way that is efficient for the film. This film has an overall message and a theme that fits the narrative of this film because there's an asteroid coming towards Earth and nobody just really seems to care aside from Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence's character. Uh, Excuse me, I just burped. Should I cut that out? Nah, fuck it. We'll, we'll, We'll keep it in there. It's a podcast at the end of the day. I'm a human being. We all burp. You do it. Don't lie to yourself. Plus, I'm also drinking Pepsi. That's probably why. But anyways, um, yeah, so, yeah, th- this film was great. Everybody was fantastic. Jonah Hill was fucking hilarious. I thought he was like the vice president, you know, after watching the trailers. But you kind of realize that he's actually like the son of Meryl Streep, who is the president of this film, which I, I kind of already suspected. And wow, she, speaking of Meryl Streep, she is essentially like the female equivalent to Donald Trump. Like, throughout watching the film, that's literally what I thought, and then I was watching reviews on YouTube, and that's what other people were saying too. So we all, everybody kind of like, you know, agrees that Adam McKay, the director of the film, was trying to... I'm sure he was actually not fucked that. He was definitely intentionally trying to make Meryl Streep, you know, portray, let's say, some of the behaviors and character traits that we've seen with Donald Trump. Uh, So, yeah, overall, the film was... It was very funny, but in a very dark way, because was what was really fucked up and scary about the film was how realistic the reaction of society in the overall world was. Cause I feel like if we were in that situation and there was an asteroid coming to Earth, there generally would be people that just like would try and convince themselves that this isn't happening, even though there's actual data and factual information that's that's telling you like this is coming to our world. We are going to die if we don't take action and a lot of greed would probably get in the way, uh, which we see in the film, because they, they had an attempt at taking out the asteroid uh, with Ron Perlman's character, which is funny. And then they reverted the rockets that were going out, outside the atmosphere to take out the uh, or the asteroid. They they reversed those rockets after they lost them to come back to Earth, so then they could reevaluate how they want to approach taking out the rocket in a way that could also be profitable for you know this big this big company called uh, Bash. I think I think they're called in the film, and that is so fucking true. I mean, maybe not. You know, I mean, I think the the rocket part, you know, coming back to Earth after it was launched, that's probably a little bit over dramatic. But that overall representation of greed, like as a society, we won't try and take out this asteroid unless there's a way we could also profit off it at the same time. Like that is very much how a lot of these big companies that we see behave. In today's society, so I really thought that was interesting, um, and kind of gave me like a little bit, a little bit of like an existential crisis because I was like, you know, God forbid we find ourselves in a position like that. Uh, so yeah, got don't look up at number five. All right, at number four we got West Side Story. I actually just saw this film a couple days ago, and it is fucking awesome. Uh, I loved it. Now, obviously, when I hear that Steven Spielberg is making a new film, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited because, I mean, this is, for crying safe, for cry, for crying out loud, excuse me, this is the guy that made E.T., one of my favorite childhood films of all time. And obviously, he's made many more films as well. We all know his resume. It speaks for itself. So when you hear that he's making a new film, you're, you know, intrigued and you want to see what he's doing. And, uh, you know, West Side Story just kind of further solidifies his, his greatness as a filmmaker. And uh, there's a lot of people that will make an argument that he's the best director that, you know, this this industry and, and this this art has ever seen. Uh, and, you know, I, I think there's definitely a very strong case for that to be made. And he just hits it out of the park. He hits another home run. This film was absolutely incredible. I know it was kind of based off a 1960s uh, musical, but I didn't really know much about it. So I didn't really go in with the highest of expectations. You know, I'll be quite honest with you. If Steven Spielberg wasn't directing this film... I don't know for sure if I would have seen it. Just to be quite honest with you, uh, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But the fact that he was, and I'm a sucker for you know it's the the sixties and the eighties. Those are kind of like my you know two favorite. Like if I could, you give me a time machine, you give me you know two decades to you know to go out and live in the past. I'm going with the sixties, and I'm going with the eighties. That's just me. Um, but I'm a sucker for that kind of time period. Uh, even like the fifties as well, to be honest with you. But so I love that kind of old time period. I love the, I love the, you know, the fashion, the style and just, you know, the, uh, the culture of, of, of that era. Um, now obviously there's some things not to love. Like, you know, there was a lot of fucking racism and, and, and terrible things like that back then. But, you know, aside from that, uh, but anyway, so this film essentially is depicting these two gangs in new york city one being the sharks and one being the jets and they they both have uh you know two two head guys that that, that the film kind of follows there's there's three really main characters that this film follows the head guy of the sharks and the head guy of the jets and then one guy who was a part of the jets named tony who's really kind of like the who's really the main character of this film who, you kind of, who you're who you kind of following and you find out that he doesn't really want to be a part of that life anymore because he went to jail for almost killing a guy and he's kind of changed. and He's kind of learned from his mistakes um, and he develops a love interest, but the love interest is the sister of the main head uh, leader of the Sharks. So obviously he ha- doesn't want a sister to have anything to do with this guy because he knows that he has ties to the shark, or he has ties to the Jets and hell, he probably thinks he's still a part of the Jets. Um, and you know, this big battle happens towards the end of the film between the two gangs, both leaders die spoilers. Sorry. Um, so, and, uh, and yeah, and just, it's, it's, it's a really great film. I'm not, I, I mean, I kind of just spoiled part of it, but I'm not going to spoil the entire ending. Uh, I'll, I, my apologies for spoiling, spoiling a little bit of the, the movie right there, but I'm telling you, there's still a lot more that I haven't spoiled. If you watch the whole film, uh, especially at, at the ending of it. Uh, But overall, it's incredible, and it's just furthering my interest in musicals. I talked about this last episode, or not last, the episode before, episode 14 when I talked about Tick, Tick, Boom. After watching Tick, Tick, Boom, it's really kind of sparked this interest in so many great musical films that I just haven't seen, like La La Land and so on. So this is just another great one I've seen, and I'm excited to rewatch it. So that's number four. We got West Side Story. Now we're in the top three. Uh, We are going to go number three. Now these last three were kind of hard to mix up, but I felt I made the right decision. Uh, Number three, we got Spider-Man No Way Home. You guys know how I feel about this film. If you've kept up with my podcast in the past couple weeks. Uh, I I stand by it to this day. I think Spider-Man No Way Home is the best Spider-Man film I've ever seen out of like the nine that have come out now with you know the Tobey films and the Andrew films. I I believe this is the best one because it's all it it's almost like a love letter to all three franchises: Tom Holland's franchise, uh, uh, Andrew Garfield's franchise, and of course my favorite Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire's franchise. It just brings them all together in a way that that makes sense and that just makes you. Fucking laugh, cry, cheer, everything. Uh, Like I said, great film. Best Spider-Man film I've seen. But the next two films, they are better. It's the it's the best Spider-Man film I've seen. But I don't think it's better than these two films that I saw. So I'm not going to go into great length about No Way Home. You know, I've, I've talked about it on... Uh, I did a whole episode about it. And then after that, I also talked spoilers about it. So if you want to hear my in-depth thoughts about No Way Home, I've already talked about that. You can go back to episode... Uh, thirteen, episode thirteen was all about uh No Way Home. It was like right after I saw it, basically a couple days after, couple days after I saw it, and then episode fourteen it was about Tick Tick Boom. But then towards the second half of the episode, I talked, I talked in detail about the the spoilers and what I liked and stuff like that. So number three, Spider Man No Way Home. All right, let's see. Here we are. Number two tick tick boom i fucking love this film i was already a fan of andrew garfield but after watching this film i'm kind of like on a little andrew garfield like like uh i don't know like tangent of watching his films right now i'm trying to watch all of his films i think next uh tomorrow i'm gonna watch his film silence the scorsese film uh that he that he was in that film looks really really good um, and just want to keep watching more of his films. I'm, I'm, I start, I'm really starting to realize like how great of a fucking actor he is. Like I already knew he was, he was very talented. Obviously if you've watched the show, the social network, he probably should have gotten an Academy award, uh, nominee for that. But you know, rest of my case, that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but Tick, Tick, Boom was absolutely great. Like I said, talked all about it in depth on episode, uh, 14. So if you guys want to go check that out, I highly suggest you do. So that's number two. Now, number one. I would do a drum roll but I don't want to fuck up the audio for this cuz I don't want to shake the the thing. So you listening and watching, give me the drum roll please. I'll give you I'll give you 5 seconds to do that. Okay, here we go. Number 1 is Dune directed by Denis Villeneuve, starring one of the big actors right now. He's taken over Hollywood, Timothy Chalamet. This guy is just incredible. He's a once in a lifetime talent and he just continues to just showcase his excellence uh he did fantastic in this film and also like i mentioned Denis villeneuve you know aside from christopher nolan he he's definitely in my top three for my f- favorite directors my, my three favorite directors working in hollywood right now i would say are uh robert eggers directed the lighthouse the film that had pretty much inspired me to pursue film as a career so he directed the lighthouse and he directed a movie called the north man which we're actually going to talk about later uh, in today's episode And he directed The Witch, which I loved. Uh, So Robert Eggers, in no no particular order, by the way. Robert Eggers, Christopher Nolan, and Denis Villeneuve. Those are my three favorite uh, directors working in Hollywood today. Um, So, yeah. Dune was incredible. I wasn't... I'm not going to name his name, but I I have a friend of mine who was, like, super excited to watch Dune. And rightfully so. But I wasn't as excited as him. But... I was still looking forward to it, but after I saw it, I understood why he was so excited because I absolutely fucking love this film. It exceeded my expectations. I thought it looked good. I didn't really know much about the source material. I know there's a book. Uh, I know Dune is based off the book written by Frank Frank Herbert, Frank Hubert, I think. Let me just, let me get that right here. Um. Yeah, it, it's based off of, uh, it's based off a of book. Dune book, Frank Herbert. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's based off the, the novel written by Frank Herbert. And I know there's been a couple attempts to try and take a crack at this franchise. There was a film, uh, there was a Dune film, a film from way back in the day. I think like the seventies or eighties or something. And I think there was like a TV series, but not, neither of them, you know, were, ended up becoming successful, but this film was absolutely incredible. I love Timothy Chalamet's performance. I love Oscar Isaac as sort of like his father, the leader of uh of that uh you know the the faction excuse me that he's in i forget the name of it uh you know across the board just jason momoa like just incredible performances and let me just actually look up the cast real quick here um let me just reset this real quick i set a timer here because uh the camera if you if i keep it on for too long it'll actually overheat and shut off on its own so i kind of set little intervals i set like little like 12 10 12 minute intervals um but i could probably go for a little bit longer before i continue on here so let's go with dune cast just because there's a lot of other people i want to give credit to yeah zendaya very briefly they were kind of setting up her her character for the second film uh rebecca ferguson as the as timothy Shama's mother lady jessica she was fantastic uh, Stellan Skarsgård as the villain of the film. Uh, what's his name? Vlad Vladimir. What did he play? Uh, uh, the Baron, I think they called him in the film. Javier Bar- Javier, 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 Bardem. Uh, I always fuck up his the pronunciation for his name. He was he was the the creepy guy in uh, No Country for Old Men. Fantastic actor. Uh, Dave Batista, Josh Brolin, Charlotte Rampling, uh, David David Tass David Ta- Tass Malchian, definitely pronounced that wrong. He's a good actor. He's a creepy looking dude, but he's such a good actor. Uh, Chang Chen, uh, you know Anna Dar. Wait, Anna Darmez was not. Okay, I'm gonna stop reading because now it's just starting to. Yeah, it says Ryan Gosling was in this film. He definitely was not. Anyways, um, but yeah. Overall, this film was great. The performances across the board were fantastic. I feel like I'm just repeating myself at this point. The, the overall, like the the biggest thing for me was first of all the music in this film was great. Uh, my favorite song from the soundtrack probably be Gam Jabbar. Really, really love that one. It's solid, solid track. I listen to it all the time if I'm really trying to get like focus. Um, but the scope and the cinematography that's something that is very associated with. Denis Villeneuve's films like when you watch his films even the ones that are more grounded like Enemy and Prisoners the cinematography is just off the wall it's so excellent Uh, and that definitely does not disappoint this film the cinematography is great the visual effects fantastic the scope and the world that they build in this film of Arrakis is incredible it is beautiful Um, I I don't think they could have done a a better job and I really didn't think this was going to be my favorite film of this year. Like I, that's why I'm, I'm actually kind of happy. I'm happy that I was, that I kind of ended this year with a pleasant surprise. Like to be honest, going into this year, going into 2021, uh, I was looking at the list of films and I was thinking, you know what? Spider-Man is probably going to end up being my favorite. Uh, I'd say the two, the two biggest surprises for me, uh, out of my whole top 10 list. I'd probably say we're The Guilty and then this film, Dune. Uh, the Guilty is just like a Netflix film. You know, Netflix makes a lot of films. Some of them are good, some of them are, you know, are, are just kind of decent mid. Some of them are, some of them may be disappointing depending on who you talk to, but you know, The Guilty just totally surprised me. I mean, I, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. If you've ever seen Nightcrawler, go watch it. Great movie. Um, So that was definitely a surprise. I didn't expect that to be in my top 10 by the end of 2021. But then Dune, Dune, I kind of had a feeling it was gonna be in the top 10, but I definitely didn't expect it to be my favorite film of 2021. So that was a huge surprise. So 2021 is officially in the rear view now. we talked about my favorite films. Now let's transition to what I'm really excited to talk about, the films. First, we're gonna talk about the upcoming films of 2022. We're just gonna talk about them as a whole. Some of these films I'm gonna talk about, I'm personally not very excited for them but you know, maybe you're a fan of a certain franchise and you don't really keep up with them as much. And then I might name a movie on on the on this list here that you are a fan of and you're a fan of that franchise. And then, oh, I've heard about, you know, I'll say uh, let's use Minions for example, you know, uh, Minions the Rise of, of Gru is on my list here, uh, starring Steve Corral and Lucy Lawless. Me personally, never seen any of the Minion films. I know they have a very loyal and very dedicated fan base. Me personally, I'm just not very into them, but maybe one of you guys are listening uh are, are a big fan of the Minions. And then, boom, you hear that they're making another one, and then it gets that anticipation and that excitement going for you. So, without f- further ado, let's just talk about some movies coming out this year in 2022 uh, as we put 2021 in that fucking rearview mirror. And let me just say, this: this year is going to be insane for films. Now, 2023 personally is what i really have my eye on but i'm not gonna lose sight of the films that we're getting this year because i think overall 2021 was great but i think we're gonna be getting much more and possibly even better films but that remains to be seen but anyways kicking off the list we got uncharted starring tom holland mark Wahlberg not really interested never really played the video games but i know there's like i said there's a very loyal very dedicated fan base to that franchise so it's excited it's exciting that we're getting another uh video game adaptation let's hope they can nail it right because that's been the one you know big kind of plague you know we've haven't really seen a video game franchise transition to the big screen in a very successful way. There has been some good films, don't get me wrong. Sonic is a big one. Uh, I, I know that a lot of people really enjoy that one, which we're gonna talk about as well on here. So let's hope Uncharted can be that film to really break out of that mold, out of that you know difficulty that we've seen a lot of these video game franchises struggle with. Let's hope they can be the first. Uh, next, we got Scream. Never really been a big fan of Scream. Uh, I, I personally just kind of find those movies a little bit cheesy. But hey, if that's what you're into, that's what you're into. That's starring uh, Neve Campbell and Courtney Cox. Um, then we got The North Man. This is one that I'm super fucking excited for. Uh, directed by Robert Eggers. Starring Anya Taylor-Joy. Alexander Skarsgård. Willem de One of my favorite actors in Hollywood today. Uh, who was also in my... Uh, one of my other favorite films I've talked about before, The Lighthouse, also directed by Robert Eggers, so we have, uh, like I said, Willem Dafoe, and I think the cast even goes further, it goes much further than that, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, The Northman, let's get a plot synopsis here, The Northman movie, Uh, cast. Yeah, so we got. I'll name who the people I haven't named. So we got Bjork. I I, I apologize if I mispronounced that. Right? Nicole Kidman. Damn, that didn't know she was in here. Um, Bill Skarsgård. Great. Ethan Hawke. Damn, did not know he was in this film. Uh, I can't even pronounce this guy's name, but I know. I think they call him the Mountain. He's from. He's that really big dude from uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, he's in that. He's a good actor. Uh, then we got, we got Ralph Innocent. I definitely pronounced his last name wrong. Really got to work on my pronunciations, but Ralph Innocent is a fantastic actor. He fits so well in these Robert Egger films. He was also in the green Knight as the green Knight. Uh, he's a fantastic actor. He's got such a very recognizable voice. Like, you know, when it's, you know, it's Ralph Innocent when you hear him speak. Um, you got clay, clay, Claus clay's bet. Plays bang. I never really heard of him. Katie, D- uh, Kate Dickey, another person who is very familiar and who has worked with uh, Robert Eggers. She was the mother of the family in the witch. And Ralph was the father of the family in the witch. Uh, and then as for the rest of the cast, we have Murray MacArthur, uh, James Harper Jones, Gustav Lind, Ian Gerard, White, John Campling, uh, Todd, Ta- Todd Murphy, Todd Murphy, uh, and then the rest of the cast, I haven't really heard. heard. I'm not really too familiar with these actors and actresses. Uh, but yeah, very good cast, uh, you know, just down the line, uh, incredible. And to be honest, the biggest thing that excites me about this film is, is just Robert Eggers. After The Lighthouse and After The Witch, this guy's two for two right now. He has hit it out of the park, and I've just been waiting to figure out what he's going to do next. But let's get an actual plot synopsis here because uh, I know it has something to do with the sort of Viking era um and actually a trailer just came out trailer was incredible trailer was so good but let's get an actual synopsis here um let me see here uh, the Northman uh synopsis synopsis here we go uh, um is it popping up here Okay, let's uh The Northman. Let's go on Rotten Tomatoes. Um Okay, they got a short little brief sentence here. The Northman this comes like I said this comes from uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh The Northman is an epic revenge thriller that explores how far a Viking prince will go to seek justice for his murdered father. That sounds incredibly interesting. As soon as I heard that Willem Dafoe is also going to be in this movie and he's going to be one of the Vikings, I'm sold. Like that right then and there, that is enough to grab my attention, pull me in and get me fucking excited, which I can't wait. Uh, so we got the North man. Now let's move on here. Let's get out of that. Uh, so yeah. Uh, then we got Black Adam, uh, not really too excited for this film, I, I, I'm i kind of familiar with the Black Adam character, I know he's one of the strongest in the DCEU, um, but that's starring Dwayne Johnson, Noah Centi- uh, Centi- Cent- Centineo, hopefully I pronounced that right, man, I really gotta work on my pronunciations, guys, I'm just butchering these pronunciations, Um, sorry to any of you out there that, if I pro- mispronounce your name wrong, uh, then we got Jurassic World, Dominion, we got Chris Pratt returning, as well as Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, then we got Morbius, Jared Leto, uh, Adria or, John, or, or Jonah. Now I'm just naming the you know the first couple cast members. There's obviously more people in the film besides them. Uh, then we got Lightyear with Chris Evans. That looks really interesting. When that first got announced, I thought that was going to be like a Disney Plus series. And regardless, I still would have watched it because I'm a big fan of the Toy Story franchise and also there was like a short little Buzz Lightyear film that came back way back in the day and that was incredible as a kid it still holds you know lots of big memories and nostalgia from my childhood Uh, so I'm really excited to see that they're getting uh, he's getting his own film now I know it's probably gonna be a little bit different well it looks very different from the Toy Story franchise and obviously it's a different voice actor as well it's Chris Evans which I think is a great uh, pick to, to voice Buzz Lightyear. Uh, so then next we got Nope, directed by Jordan Peele. And uh, I I had the cast earlier here. Let me see. Nope. I'm really, really excited for this film. Um, yeah, it comes out this year, 2022, obviously. And when I go on IMDb, the cast is uh, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Young, great actor, Academy Award nominee, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Obviously, he's worked with uh, Jordan Peele before on Get Out, which is one of my favorite horror uh, movies of all time. Then we got Michael Wincott, uh, Barbie Ferreria, uh, Ferreria. hopefully I got that one right, Donnie Mills, Brandon Peria, Terry Notari, Jennifer LaFleur, uh, Ryan W. Garcia, and just a bunch of other actors and actresses who I'm just not too familiar with. Um, But yeah, the biggest thing... The director and the writer is Jordan Peele. And I know he was a producer for Candyman. But overall, Candyman to me was a good film. Kind of underwhelming. So I've kind of just been waiting to see what he's going to do next from a directing standpoint. With him with both hands behind the wheel. Uh, And he's also writing this as well. So that really interests me. I don't know too much about the film. But just the fact that it's another horror film. And it's also being directed by... Uh, Jordan Peele who is also two for two us was beautiful. It was amazing and then get out Uh, So yeah, I'll try and see if I can get a little bit So yeah that cast by the way that came from IMDb. I'm gonna try and get a little bit of synopsis here Uh, I don't trust Wikipedia. Let me see here. Um uh, Let me see nope movie synopsis synopsis Hmm. Uh, what is this film about? Okay, this comes from Screen Rant. Uh, the horror peak in the nineties was currently going through. What is going on? Story details. Here we go. Um. Uh, it says on screen right here, and this comes from Adriana, this, this article is written by Adriana Tyler, uh, and she wrote that, unfortunately, this is a quote from the article, unfortunately, Peel hasn't revealed any details about the story of Nope, but it's known that it will have a social commentary angle just like Ghetto and Us, as this has become part of Peel's style as a filmmaker, I completely agree. Of course, the, this mystery around the story of Nope, along with the mysterious poster featuring a cloud with a kite, with a kite-like tail over a very colorful city surrounded by darkness, has made has made way for all types of theories on what the movie could be about. But surely Jordan Peele will end up surprising the audience as he has been doing so far. End quote. So. Really we don't know much about this film, but I kind of like that I kind of like the the mystery I kind of like I really do like the, the the poster because I agree there's a lot of different ways you could interpret it with the you know the the clouds surrounding the little town as well as the uh, you can see the kite coming from the clouds so definitely some some kind of uh, you know gloom and and you know raining over this town. so really there's really not much uh, about this about this film that's known right now. Uh, so as those details develop, I'll talk about them more on this podcast. So, Nope is on this uh, list as well. Then I mentioned earlier, we have Minions, The Rise of Gru, uh, Steve Corral, Lucy Lawless. Uh, then we have Halloween Ends, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer. I'm sure there's obviously other people in the cast. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm kind of burnt out a little bit on the Halloween franchise. I did enjoy the sort of... Uh, reboot, if you will, of the franchise. I mean not really a reboot. It was a sequel to the older films, but it kind of retcons some of like the uh the more disappointing ones that have come out that weren't as well received. So I did like that film. I thought it was pretty good. I liked it was nice to see Jamie Lee Curtis back as the sister of Michael Myers. So that was Uh, exciting to see and I did enjoy it but overall though I'm still I'm kind of just not you know as interested as I used to be I mean I still haven't even seen Halloween kills so Halloween ends you know judging by the title I'm assuming that's going to be the ending of this franchise but nowadays in in Hollywood franchises are being revived after so long so will it really be the end we don't really know and that's not really an insult by the way I think it's good to You know, if you can discover new storylines, new narratives, even after you believe a franchise is done, well, then I think you should pursue it because these franchises have very loyal and dedicated fans that will show up to your film as long as there's a compelling narrative to present to them in in an interesting story. Um, So Halloween ends. Then we got Tickets to Paradise uh, starring Julia Roberts, George Clooney. Then we got The Lost City starring Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum. Saw the trailer for that, looked pretty good. Brad Pitt is also in it. Then we have Sonic 2. Sonic 2, uh, haven't haven't seen the first one personally, but I heard that the first one was actually a pleasant surprise. Uh and I, I honestly I kind of want to just see it, just to see Jim Carrey. Because I feel like we haven't really seen Jim Carrey in a little bit. I feel like he's kind of just been chilling. You know, he's he's his resume speaks for itself. The guy's one of the funniest actors, one of the one of the greatest actors in Hollywood as well. Um, and we haven't really seen him very active, uh, and in, in, Hollywood lately, but he's kind of, you know, he's returning in this film with Sonic two, uh, with Ben Schwartz, uh, James, James Marsden, and, uh, and like I just mentioned, Jim Carrey. So up next, we got, uh, Ambulance starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, oh boy. I'm definitely going to pronounce his name wrong. Uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Um, I, I know who that is. He's a great actor. He was in Matrix Resurrections and he was in Candyman and I, I liked him in Candyman. Um, I, I, I'm really sorry for pronouncing that wrong. I'm, I'm a fucking goof. I'm an idiot when it comes to these pronunciations. Uh, next we have Fantastic Beasts. Oh, sorry. Ambulance, by the way, directed by Michael Bay. We haven't really seen a Michael Bay film in quite a while. Uh, you know, say what you will, but Michael Bay, you, you can always say that his films are entertaining at, at the very least. are uh, You always know you're going to be you're gonna, you're gonna be entertained and there's gonna be big action scale explosions, car chases, all that kind of stuff and a lot of people really love and will eat that stuff up. So he's a good he's a great filmmaker and it's nice to see him make his return after kind of being on a little bit of a break these last couple of years. And then we got fantastic Beasts, the secrets of Dumbledore. I'll be honest, haven't really been that uh, that interested in this in this little sub franchise after Harry Potter. But The Secrets of Dumbledore, that's a kind of a compelling title. Maybe I'll check it out. I have seen the first one, the first Fantastic Beast. And I will say, I thought it was interesting, but I don't think it was like this amazing film that I would want to rewatch, like, you know, four, five, six times. I uh, haven't seen the second one. I know that they recasted Johnny Depp's. Uh, character of Grindelwald because of all the, you know, in light of all that controversy with him and Amber Heard. So they recasted Grindel, the Grindelwald character with Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, I think that's a great pick. I love Mads Mikkelsen. I think he's a fantastic actor. So they got Mads Mikkelsen, Jude Law, and uh, Eddie Redmayne. Um, and then we got Top Gun Maverick uh, with Tom Cruise, of course, and Miles Teller. Love Miles Teller. Uh, I, for those of you who don't know Miles Teller, If you're, if you're just figuring, if you're finding him out right now, who he is, I'm sure most people do the first film, I would suggest anybody to watch who hasn't seen any of his work, go watch whiplash. Like that film was incredible. Um, so yeah, then we got Spider-Man across or sorry. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Then we got mission impossible seven, another Tom Cruise film with, uh, him, Rebecca Ferguson. And, uh, and I'm sure obviously more people in the cast. Now, with Mission Impossible, I've never been very interested in that franchise either. But my first experience with Mission Impossible 7 was the last one, the sixth one. And holy shit, I have been missing out and I've been sleeping on this franchise for a long time. And now I'm actually really excited to see this one. After watching the sixth one, I kind of always looked... You know, from afar, from somebody who hasn't seen any of the Mission Impossible films, I always kind of looked at them the same way that I looked at the Fast and Furious films, just kind of like a, a a popcorn film. I'm not saying they're bad, not at all. Those Fast and Furious films have a huge fan base because they're good films, but they're kind of just films that you go in, you know, you bring, you get all your snacks and your goodies, and you just stuff your face with popcorn, and you just watch and enjoy the big action. That's kind of how I looked at Mission Impossible Seven. Uh, before actually watching any of the films. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of action. That's primarily what the film is known for, especially with the fact that Tom Cruise does all his stunts. But the film is, they're they are actually bigger and better than that. Like, the, I think the writing's incredible. I think the acting is incredible. Not to say that the acting in the Fast and Furious films isn't. Uh, but yeah, I was pleasantly surprised after first watching uh, Mission Impossible 6. Now I got to watch 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1. And yeah, so I'm excited for Mission Impossible Seven. Uh, then, like I mentioned before, we got Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, uh, Part One. It says now I'm not gonna lie, I do kind of think into the Spider this, uh, the the first one in, into the Spider-Verse, I kind of think that film is slightly overrated. I do really enjoy it, and it did surprise me. Uh, but I hear some people say that it's like their favorite Spider-Man film they've ever seen. Um, I mean, hey, look, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. I mean. I always say, and and you know, I've, I've I've heard this from John Campia, and he's absolutely right, and he hits it on the nail. Film is subjective. We all know that. If you think that Spider Spider Man Into the Spider Verse is your favorite film, hats off to you, man. Got no problems with it. But for me, the way some people talk about it, they talk about it as if it's just like head and shoulders above any of the other Spider Man films that have come out. I think that's a little you know extreme. But I mean, if that's how they feel, you know, who am I to say else uh, otherwise? But. Uh, but besides that, uh, the sequel to that's coming out. I am excited for it. Uh, then we have The Flash. Uh, or sorry, the cast members here uh, real quick. A couple of cast members at the top. We have uh, Sh- uh, Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld. Um, then we have The Flash with Ezra Miller and Michael Keaton. This is a film I'm incredibly excited for because we all know if you've kept up with the film that we got Ben Affleck coming back as uh, briefly as Bruce Wayne as Batman. And then we got Michael Keaton coming back as Batman as well. One of the first and one of the best Batman we've had. Uh, then we have Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Excited? Well, you know, I'm, I'm excited just because we're getting another Marvel film, but I'm very curious and interested to see how they're going to handle the Chabak Boseman situation. Uh, that right now, uh, a couple of just cast members off the top. We got Angela Bassett and Lupita uh, Nyong. Uh, then we got Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom, Jason Momoa, uh, and same thing as, uh, as as one of the other films we got. Yaya Abdul-Mateen, man, I got to figure out how to pronounce that this second. He played Black Manta in the first film. So he's going to be coming back playing Black Manta, of course, in the second film. Uh, And then we have Babylon starring Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. Uh, There are more films, obviously, that's not it. But, you know, if if I talked about every single film that's going to be coming out in 2022 this podcast is going to be like five hours long. And I'll be honest, I don't think most of you are are going to stick around for that long. Hell, most of you might not even stick around for the whole thing for this episode. So got to be realistic here. Uh, so that is just kind of some of the films, a little, little mix and mash of the films that are going to be coming out here in 2022. Now I'm going to give you my top 10 personally most anticipated movies that are coming out in 2022. So honorable mentions off the rip we got Jurassic World Dominion, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Avatar 2, Moonfall. I saw the trailer for that the other day. That looked really good. It's like a movie but like the moon is coming towards earth to it's like a, an apocalyptic movie. That looks pretty interesting. Uh fanta- and like I said Fantastic Beasts and the Secrets of Dumbledore. I haven't like I, like I mentioned haven't been very interested in this franchise, but I will say this film has me intrigued just off the title alone. Okay. So those are the honorable mentions. Let's crack into the top 10. Starting at number 10, we got Morbius. Uh, I'm excited for this film, but I'm also kind of worried about it at the same time. Now I'm excited for reasons I feel like I shouldn't, opposite reasons as to why I should be excited for this film. Usually you should be excited for a film because of the character and because of the story. I'm more or less excited for the answers we're going to get with the Spider-Man stuff. Because if you kept up with the trailers, you know that all three universes are tied into this film. We see the Oscorp Tower from uh, the Amazing Spider-Man universe. We obviously see Michael Keaton returning from his uh, character's vulture from Tom Holland's universe. And then we see on uh, on a wall, we see Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. So I'm more or less curious and excited to watch the movie and see how they're going to address the Spider-Man universes, which in my opinion is a problem. And I feel like a lot of other people share the same view as me. They're excited for the Spider-Man stuff rather than actually going to see the film for the Morbius stuff. Now I'm intrigued with Morbius, but I'll be honest with you. I don't know much about the character. Um, I know he's like a a vampire and I know he's like a, he's a villain and he's heavily involved in the Spider-Man comics and stuff like that. But I'm more or less seeing the film because I'm excited to see how they're going to handle the Spider-Man stuff. And I feel like that is kind of an issue With the overall film, I I just hope the film doesn't fall victim of just setting up other films, which we've seen many, many times before. But yes, it is on my top 10. Uh, Moving on, number nine, we got The Flash. Uh, Sort of similar, to be honest with you, with what I just mentioned with Morbius. I'm excited for The Flash, not really because of Ezra Miller. I like Ezra Miller. I first saw him in uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. thought he was incredible. He's a very talented actor, although I don't really know how they're handling that situation with him because he literally hit a woman. So I don't know what's going on with that. That's fucking, that's really bad. Uh, But anyways, I'm seeing this film similar to the reasons why I'm seeing Morbius because we know that there's multiple Batman in this film and I wonder how they're going to address that situation. And this film has also been rumored to sort of fix the DCEU and the sort of continuity Errors that we we've we've had now ever since the Justice League. So I'm interested to see how they're going to address the overall DCEU and the problems that that universe has uh, you know faced lately. And I'm also interested to see how they're going to address the Batman stuff. I'm I don't I'm not very interested in the Reverse Flash stuff and and you know the Ezra Miller stuff with him as Flash. Uh, I'm never really I've never really been a big fan of that character. Um, that that's just me personally. I haven't watched the Flash show. Uh, with, with whatever, I don't, I don't, I forget the actor's name, but, uh, so that's just me. Next we have Don't Worry Darling, and I was doing my research and this film looks really, really good. It's directed by Olivia Wilde. It stars Florence Pugh, Olivia Wilde herself, uh, Harry Styles, which is Olivia Wilde's, uh, boyfriend, if I'm not mistaken. Let me actually double check that here. Um... Are Olivia. Let me see here. Yeah, yeah. So Olivia Wilde and, and uh, hairstyles are together. They are dating. Um, so I mean, we've seen many times, you know, actors and actresses who are who are in a relationship together work with each other. It's that's nothing new to Hollywood, but it's interesting to see that. And I am also. I'm also very excited to see uh, Harry Styles kind of explore more of his acting because I think he's a really good actor. I thought his brief role in Dunkirk was a really good sign of what what, what could come with him as an actor. And I think he's, really, he's a really, really good performer overall. And then we got Chris Pine. And then we also, who I talked about earlier, then we have Gemma Chan uh, in this as well. So that's a really good cast. And I was reading the synopsis earlier, but I don't want to explain it incorrectly. So I'm going to find the synopsis here real quick. Don't worry, darling. It's a psychological thriller, which is right up my alley. That's like one of my favorite genres of films to watch. Films like Shutter Island, films like The Lighthouse, uh, films like um, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, uh, stuff like that. Great films like that. Uh, Synopsis, here we go. So, a 1950s housewife. This comes from IMDb. A 1950s housewife living with her husband in a utopian experimental. That's the part that sounds uh, very enticing. In a, a utopian experimental community begins to worry that his glamorous company may be hiding disturbing secrets. That is always the most interesting plots, kind of like underlying, you know, controversies and, and, and hidden secrets that are buried deep beneath the characters and and when the characters realize that's when things get that's when things get really really interesting so like i said the cast looks phenomenal and i'm really excited to continue to see harry styles kind of show off his acting capabilities and i've seen some of the behind the sets photos this, this movie looks like it takes place in like the 70s or 80s or maybe even 60s that could just be the aesthetic. I mean, it, it did also say experimental. So maybe this is kind of like, honestly, when I read this, I kind of get Truman show, you know, vibes with, with the way they're describing it. I could be completely wrong. The film may be, and it probably is going to be something completely separate from that kind of film. But with the overall experimental community, kind of like how in the Truman show with Jim Carrey, it took a while, but he realizes that his life in his day-to-day activities are all being monitored and it's essentially a set in a tv show that he's living in people are actors people are there to pretend that he is living this life and he realizes that it's just all a shtick right it's just it's all it's you know it's 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 a fugazi, it's fugazi or whatever, however the however the hell you say it but uh yeah so that sounds pretty interesting Next, we got number seven. We got Killers of the Flower Moon. This is going to be the next Scorsese film. I'm absolutely excited. Love Martin Scorsese. I mean, everybody knows this guy from you know Taxi Driver, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, you know uh, uh, Goodfellas. You know, we, we we all we all know we all love Scorsese's work. Uh, this movie has Leonardo DiCaprio, Jesse Plemons, and Robert De Niro, and I think there's more cast members. Um, and I'll get another synopsis out here real quick. Uh, let me see here. Um, I'll just stick to IMDB. Killers of the Flower Moon 2022. Uh, and this synopsis says, members of the Osage tribe in the United States are murdered under mysterious circumstances in the 1920s, sparking a major FBI investigation involving J. Edgar hoover hoover hopefully i pronounced it correctly and uh yeah written by david graham uh, who apparently wrote the this is also based off a, a book a novel and uh the, another writer is also eric roth and then obviously the stars like i mentioned uh, leonardo dicaprio let me see the full stars here so we got leonardo dicaprio jesse plemons robert de niro brendan frazier damn have not seen him in a while shout out to the journey to the center of the earth. Um, John Lithgow, I'm not too sure who that is. Barry Corbin. Uh, we got Louis Cancellini. K- I don't really know the rest of these people, to, to be quite honest with you. It's not even like I can't pronounce their names. I just, I'm not too familiar with them. Uh, but overall, looks very interesting. And they've only, there's no trailer or anything. They just released a little behind the scenes clip of Leo. And then I think, I assume that's Jesse. Uh, I assume that's Jesse Plemons also at the table sitting next to him. And no Robert De Niro in that picture, but it's just them two uh, sitting at the table. And I don't know why, it just looks really, really good. Um, Then, next, number six on my list for most anticipated films, top 10 most anticipated films of 2022. I got Black Panther, Wakanda, Forever. Uh, I'm very intrigued to see how they handle the situation. This has been a big topic of discussion. A lot of people have uh felt they should recast him or some people feel like they should try and find a way to honor him and and you can make the you can make the argument that regardless of what they do he can he can be honored if they recast him and they could he could also be honored if they don't recast him i am personally of the opinion that i don't think they should recast him i originally was i originally thought that they should have recasted uh chadwick boseman's character of t'challa but as time went on and I sat back and I digested it and I thought about it, I thought there, there are many different ways they could go to honor him in a way that they don't recast him. And there could still be a new Black Panther. I think people are just thinking Black Panther's done. Like the, the whole character himself. I think there will be a new Black Panther. But I think they're going to do it in a very unique way that still recognizes T'Challa and what he did with the avengers an endgame and infinity war but i think there's going to be a new uh a new character to fill in those footsteps. Now i've heard a lot of people say it's going to be a sister shuri. It could be. It could be. I've heard a lot like apparently that's what that's what happens in the comics. Don't take the comics as, you know, the end all be all because we've seen in a lot of these marvel films they've used stories they, they've used ideas from stories, but changed things in many, many ways. I mean, if we look at Age of Ultron, that's completely different from how it, was, how it was represented in the comics. You know what I mean? So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Yes, in the comics, Shuri at some point did take over that Black Panther mantle. May not happen in the film, but it could. That remains to be seen. Uh, but anyway, so number five, I got Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. I'm super excited for. I don't hear enough people really talking about Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, I think once we get a trailer out for that, that will definitely spark some interesting conversation. Thor Love and Thunder, uh, let me see, IMDb. Yeah, so we all know this is the fourth film in this franchise. Now, this franchise is quite interesting because Kenneth Brana directed the first one. I don't think he directed the second. And the second was a, was kind of, you know, compared to most of the people that watch it, it was kind of like a disappointing film. And I personally didn't enjoy it very much. You know, was it had its moments here and there, but it wasn't my favorite MCU film. Uh, I enjoyed the first, but even the first kind of was underwhelming to me. I just But that third film, new director... Taika, Taika White. I fucking hope I pronounced that right. I'm so sorry. New director, new vision, new, new theme, new I mean, even some new actors. This that film really rejuvenated the Thor franchise. And it the, the third film, uh Ragnarok, is is definitely my favorite. And I'm excited to see that they're just gonna build upon that. And it is it seems like they're just gonna continue with that humor and that sort of like aesthetic. This film seems like it's almost gonna have like a very 90s theme to it in a way, which I love. You can just tell by the by the font in, in the in the title card where it says Thor Love and Thunder, it just screams that nostalgia and that sort of 90s, 80s aesthetic. And also, if you look behind the scenes, Thor actually, first of all, he's he's jacked again. He's got his muscles back. He's out of that, you know, fat Thor phase that we saw in Endgame. And we see he's got you know, he's got his muscles back, and he's almost. He's wearing like a, a like a shirtless leather jacket. And or a sleeveless rather leather jacket. And it just everything just screams 90s and 80s. While still, I'm sure there's still gonna be new elements. I'm sure this film will also be cosmic as well, which is what I'm also looking forward to. And yeah, we got the Guardians coming back. Apparently they're gonna have a significant role in the film. I assume they'll probably just be in the first half, which is still great. Um, so yeah, Thor Eleven Thunder, can't wait. Natalie Portman's also coming back as well. That's gonna be quite interesting. Since she wasn't in uh, Ragnarok, excuse me, but they have referenced her. They um, she was referenced in Avengers Endgame when Thor was kind of talking about you know the you know the the stones and, and sort of talking about his experience in uh, uh, Thor: The Dark World. All right, so number four, as we get down to this top three here, as we're approaching, got Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness. Uh, this film looks incredible. I was quite upset. Uh, Well, not quite. I was a little bit disappointed when I heard that the original director wasn't returning. I think his name is Sam Levinson. Let me double check. I feel like, I know it's Sam, but the last name, I feel like I'm getting that wrong. Dr. Strange, Dr. Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch, Dr. Strange. Let me see here, Uh, 2016. Uh, sorry. Wow. I was way off. Good thing I looked it up. Scott Derrickson, a uh, big horror guy. He's directed a lot of fantastic uh, horror films. He also wrote, he co-wrote the film along with uh, John, John Spates and C. Robert Cargill, uh, the, the the first one being that. Um, so he's not returning to direct. Apparently he had a very different vision as to how he wanted to direct the Thor or the uh, Doctor Strange sequel. And I, it just didn't fall in line with Kevin Feige's vision. And to be honest, I trust Kevin Feige. He hasn't really let us down at this point. So clearly, he had a plan. And they ended up getting a great director in Sam Raimi. You know, who directed, in my opinion, the best Spider-Man that we've had uh, with Tobey Maguire. I love Tobey Maguire and I love his films. You know, say what you will about the third film. But it still holds a special place in my heart. Uh, and I'm really excited. He's made some great films outside of the Spider-Man universe. Um, so I can't wait to see what he's going to do with Dr. Strange and he is incredible at directing fight sequences. As much as people don't like Spider-Man three, that scene when Tobey Maguire is fighting Harry, when Harry kind of becomes little goblin junior or whatever, that scene was incredible. When Peter's fighting in his like street clothes, that first interaction was great. Um, just as an example. And we know that Elizabeth Olsen is is going to be co-starring in this film as Wanda Maximoff. Uh, then we got Rachel McAdams as uh, returning as Dr. Christine Palmer. Then uh, fuck, I don't even I don't even know if I, this is this is going to be a tough one to pronounce. I'm not even going to take a crack. But Gomez, I, I can't pronounce her first name. I'm sorry. I, I could try. I don't want to fucking embarrass myself. I've already probably done that enough this episode with pronouncing names. Uh, Gomez as America Chavez, a big character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, apparently she can like travel in between time or portals, I don't know too much about the character. Then we got uh, Michael Michael Stol- Stolbarg as Dr. N- Nico Dumas West, not too sure who that is. Then we have uh, Chueto, Ejafor, once again so sorry man as uh as morto he was also the first film as well fantastic actor uh he was great in 12 years of slave um and then obviously we have uh benedict wong playing wong so yeah can't wait super excited and you know if you've seen uh spider if you've seen spider-man no way home you know that that is going to sort of be the catalyst to this film being Dr. Strange multiverse of madness, because we know that Wong said strange don't cast that spell. The one that he tried to cast in the beginning of the film that was going to make everybody forget Peter Parker's identity, And uh, that film, or sorry, in that, that decision to cast that spell, I feel like will probably spark and, you know, be the catalyst to the events it's going to, that we're going to see in the multiverse of madness. Uh, then talked about this film earlier at number three, I got Nope. Uh, directed by Jordan Peele, talked about this earlier. Can't wait. We don't know too much about it at this point, but uh, I'm really excited to see and at least get a trailer or some kind of image for that. Uh, then we got The Northman, talked about that earlier. Robert Eggers, Willem Dafoe, you know, Alexander Skarsgård. Looks incredible. Now, the number one film, I have not talked about this in this episode. I've talked about it before, but I haven't talked about it in this episode thus far. This is my most anticipated film. I said it before. As much as I was excited for No Way Home, I was a little bit more excited for this film and I still am today. And that is the Batman directed by Matt Reeves starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano as a Riddler, Colin Farrell as the Penguin. I cannot wait. I truly do think, my expectations are, are through the roof. I truly think this film has the potential to be the best Batman film of all time. Yes, I mean that better than the Bale films. Better, obviously, better than George Clooney. We don't, don't, we don't even got to talk about that one. Great actor, but that movie was, yeah. Anyways, so better than uh, George Clooney, like I mentioned, obviously uh, better than Val Kilmer, and better than obviously Adam West and Michael Keaton. I think this film has the potential to do that. It's looking like it's approaching it from the tone to the direction, to the fight scenes, to the storyline. It seems like it's it's a completely unique approach that we haven't seen yet at all. The director Matt Reeves keeps saying that this is going to really explore this the detective aspect of Batman. That we've seen little elements of that especially in the Bale films and you know a little bit in the uh in the Michael Keaton. Oh, I forgot about Ben Affleck as well. My bad. We've seen it a little bit with Ben Affleck and yes, I do think this has the potential to be better than Ben Affleck, although I will say it was kind of sad because I, I actually did really like Ben Affleck. I think Ben Affleck was sort of the most comic book accurate version of the character. He had, his suit resembled very much of the Frank Miller adaptation of Batman. He was kind of like that older Batman, whereas with Robert Pattinson, we're starting off, we're seeing him, I think they said in year two or year one, one or the other. Either way, it's not an origin story. We we all know how he died. It's kind of like Peter Parker. We all know that Peter Parker gets bitten by the spider. With Bruce Wayne, we know that his parents get shot in, uh, I think it's called Crime Alley or something. I'm not too sure. And we know that because of that, that kind of sparks that rage that eventually leads him to take on the vigilante role as Batman to fight crime and prevent things like that from happening in Gotham City. So we all know that. I don't think I've ever met a person who doesn't know the classic origin tale. Uh, I'm sure, and I think Matt Ruiz mentioned this, I they're probably going to, obviously, you know, refer to the events of, you know, Bruce Wayne's parents getting murdered, but it's not going to be like the first hour of the film. You know what I mean? So that is going to be great. I'm absolutely excited. Robert Pattinson is my favorite actor today in Hollywood. I, I've i loved what he's done in, in, in this last five years. If you still look at him as just a twilight guy, you have to go watch it. the, you know, the, the indie films and the smaller films that he's done in these last five years. Take the time to watch shows you will understand this guy is an incredible once-in-a-lifetime talent. Um, like I said, Zoe Kravitz is Catwoman. Can't wait to see her in that role. Paul Dano as a Riddler who looks like the Zodiac Killer. Uh, that looks insane. I Paul Dano is one of the most fantastic, best actors working in Hollywood today. And then we have Colin Farrell as the Penguin, which I cannot wait. I saw the trailer. It didn't even look like it was it was Colin Farrell until I found out after on IMDb that that's Colin Farrell. So, Yeah. That's my number one most anticipated film. Uh, that's going to cap off today's episode, guys. And uh, if you stuck around for the whole thing, thank you so much for listening and watching. And uh, and I got a lot of big goals for this new year. Um, hoping I can accomplish those. Going to try my best. Thank you all for listening and watching. And I will see you on episode 18.